0: In episode 18 of the Nerd Lab, we will today talk about AI, which stands for artificial intelligence. AI is a form of intelligent agent that perceives its environment and takes actions that maximize its chances of successfully achieving a goal. While this is also a huge topic in computer science, we will only focus on AI in board games today. Sometimes this is also referred to as cardboard AI. Today I will share with you my five design principles that can help you to create the appropriate AI mechanic for your game. In addition to that, I also will explain the five different levels of an board game AI and give you a whole bunch of examples of AI implementations of other games. So to make it short, at the end of this show you will have everything you need to create your own evil mastermind for your game. But before we start, I have an announcement to make. An announcement that I'm super, super stoked about. During the last few weeks, I have been able to collect a bunch of audio recordings from the best game designers in the world. And when I say the best, I mean the best of the best. And that is not an exaggeration. These designers have created the best games in the world, sold hundreds, thousands or even millions of copies of their games and are responsible for the most successful Kickstarter campaigns out there. We are talking about games like Magic the Gathering, Gloomhaven, Descent, Dominion, Eons End, Skies and, and many, many more. The knowledge of these designers is unique and their games are my main source of inspiration. Their experience makes them role models for many other designers like you and me. And all of them have one valuable advice that they are going to share with you. I am currently editing the podcast episode and am super excited about it, but I cannot wait to present this incredible treasure of game design wisdom with you. That's why I have decided that I'm going to share um, the first taste already at the end of this week with my um, newsletter subscribers, once I've edited it. The first sample will be from Jamie Stagmeyer, designer of Skies, Charterstone, Euphoria and some other games. If you want to get part of the NerdLab community, you can subscribe at my website at nerdlikeaboss.com or follow the link in the show notes. I use this newsletter to stay in touch with you, my audience. I'm going to share with you early access content from time to time. Sometimes I will share some bonus material with you. But my first goal is to really stay in touch with you and uh, discuss with you about your games as well and share with you some insights from the Nerd Lab, how I design my games and how the process of my game is going forward. My goal here is to create a community of like-minded game designers that help each other with their game design questions. And um, yeah, if you want to be part of it, Go check my website and subscribe. And if you want, tell me a little bit more about uh, the games you are currently designing. I would love to hear what what you are working on and maybe I can even help or point you into the right direction. And now for you, the main quest. So, let's talk about AI in board games. AI, to me, is just a set of rules that allows a system to make decisions on its own without um, any kind of human input. The primary reason to integrate an AI into a board game is to create an intelligent opponent that is not controlled by a player. Sometimes this is because the game is cooperative or solo and some opposition is needed. Each co-op game needs a system that creates actions and stimuli players have to respond to. And this is typically done with some sort of AI. This topic is actually very closely related to what I've talked about last week. We need something that makes the game going forward. Something that keeps up the tension and something that makes the decisions for the enemies. And the last part is actually what we are going to focus on today. AI systems that make the decisions for our enemies. An AI system is essential for most co-op games, as I've just said. At least if the game wants to avoid the use of a game master to run a scenario. However, an AI system can also add interesting aspects to a competitive game. Maybe the theme requires an actor that wouldn't make sense to be under the player's control. Then... Some kind of dummy AI could control that um, that player or that role in the game. I've also heard that some players prefer to take aggressive actions only against an AI and not against other human beings. Because they do not want to play games that create direct conflicts between them and their friends or their partner. That's why we sometimes need aspects in our game that are not under the control of the player but still have to follow some certain logic. That is exactly what we need the AI for. In my eyes, this logic can have different levels of complexity. I have defined five levels of complexity for myself. The first one is the easiest one. Um, It's just a set of instructions that lets the board do things autonomously. These instructions are more like a set of rules than a real AI because um, the AI does not really react on the player's actions. The second level is when the enemy has some kind of subroutines that creates um, a variable behavior that is not entirely scripted. The third level is when the game or the enemies respond to player actions. side comes to mind in which zombies react on the noise players make, for example. The fourth level is when the AI is aware of the current situation of the game and responds to the entire situation accordingly. And the fifth level is when an AI is replicating a real human being um, in order to make a game solo playable. More on the different levels later. Um, First, let's talk about why we actually need an AI and a little bit about the design principles I have designed for myself. So, why do we exactly need an AI? Um, Most AI systems in board games, or at least the ones we are focusing on today, serve the role of controlling the enemies in the game. So it's all about controlling the behavior of the enemy and transforming this behavior into concrete and meaningful gaming actions. Typically, the AI is responsible to answer questions like, when does the enemy act or what does the enemy do, which action does it take or who does it target Um, or How do the enemies respond to certain player actions? For me, the four most important aspects of an AI are action selection, timing, targeting and reactions. Action selection means that the AI has to manage what the enemies are going to do. And timing means that it has to manage when the enemies are going to do their stuff. Um, And targeting means that the AI has to control who the enemies are going to target. And with reactions, I mean that the AI has to manage how the enemies are going to respond to certain player actions. These four aspects were the ones that I was looking out for during my example analysis. And we will come back to them later every now and then in this podcast when we talk about specific examples. But before we dive into the examples, let's talk a little bit about the design principles that I have defined for myself for my AI. So my first design principle is that the AI must ensure that the opponent's behavior is reasonable and logical. Enemy actions are supposed to lead to interesting challenges for the players. For me, logical in that context means on one hand that the decisions have to be consistent with the rules. And on the other hand, they must also fit the situation and the time and the theme of the game. The next two design principles both go into the same direction. The second design principle is consistency. It's important that the same rules that apply for players also apply for the AI. If a person controlled by a player cannot cross an obstacle, then a person controlled by an AI shouldn't be able to cross that obstacle as well. At least not without a very good reason. If a stunt player cannot attack neither can a stunned enemy. In my eyes, this consistency is very important for enemies to feel real. And if enemies underlay the same constraints as players, you could also use some exceptions to create interesting and diverse enemies. For example, a stone golem could be stun immune, or a fire elemental could be immune to fire, and a harpy could fly over certain obstacles. These exceptions are thematic and can be used to highlight what makes an enemy different. The fact that most monsters behave consistently makes these exceptions stand out even more and highlight the importance of their different behaviors. And this may even influence the player's tactics in fighting that enemy. However, I think most rules should be the same for everyone. Players and the AI. My third design principle is some kind of goal-oriented behavior. Enemies should follow some kind of meaning. I talked about this topic in length in podcast episode 2, 3 and 4, where I talked about the encounter design and why I think designing motives that lead to conflicts is very important for the enemy design. What I mean by that is that your AI should have some kind of goal and a tactic to achieve this goal. Why? Because for the players this creates a feeling like they would fight against a real intelligence. And disrupting someone's plans feels like a great achievement. I think creating meaning, motives and a tactic that thrives your AI's behavior adds something to the game that lets your AI feel like it has a real intent. Let's say the primary goal of the enemies is to protect something from the players. Let's say there is a baby dragon that just hatched and a group of kobolds that worships this baby dragon as their god. Goal-oriented behavior could mean in that example that a player that attacks the dragon baby immediately becomes the number one target for all the kobolds. Because their number one goal is to protect the dragon and that is even more important than their life or than the current attack that they are performing. If you can manage to implement this kind of behavior for your enemies in your game, um, this will feel like a real intentional behavior and um, create them um, create and emergent situations in your game. My fourth design principle is interactivity. Interactivity means that the AI should interact with the players and their decisions. This can be achieved by AI actions that are driven by previous player actions. Let's say one of the players triggered a trap last round and therefore is stunned for this round. Wouldn't it be cool if the enemy reacts on that new situation? Depending on the type of enemy and its tactic it could either attack the stunned player because it gets an almost guaranteed hit... Or it could retreat and focus on another target because the stunned enemy is no longer a threat in this round. One of the main benefits of adding this kind of element to the AI system is that it creates the feeling of a plan coming together for the enemies. We could imagine the whole AI as a program code, similar to a programming language. Okay, let's do that. Uh, Imagine that the opponent is a program code. Um, And then an opponent with no interactivity, for example, would simply be a procedural sequence of commands. Do A, then do B, then do C. An interactive opponent, on the other hand, would have conditional expressions built in. Um, If case X has occurred, then do A. Otherwise, do B. When we later come to the examples, you will see that some games actually use this if-then logic to control their enemies. My fifth design principle is more of a challenge than a real principle. The challenge in all of this is to keep it as simple as possible. Remember, everything the AI has to do is additional work for the players. If the AI requires a dice to roll or a card to be drawn... That must be done by the players. And it must be done in addition to managing all their other stuff. And that can easily feel like additional bookkeeping for the players. And to be honest, nobody likes bookkeeping. Players are sometimes forgiving if another player takes some time to think about his next move. But they will not accept if the management of the AI requires a lot of time. It will feel like a chore to them. That's why one of our design goals should be that the AI actions are easy and fast and don't require too many activities that are carried out by the players. At the end, I think there will be probably a trade-off between simplicity and all the previous design principles that I've mentioned, which yeah, more or less all add some kind of complexity to our cardboard AI. If you want a simple AI for your game or a very intelligent and maybe a little bit more complex AI, really depends on your game and um, is the decision that you have to make of only on your own. In my case, I have an AI that is somewhere in between, I would say. The standard behavior of my enemies is relatively simple. But I have also a possibility to add a quest-specific behavior to my enemies. And this is where I can add a lot of complexity and intelligence. And depending on the quest, I can decide um, if I want to have more intelligent opponents or maybe less intelligent opponents. Yes, this have been my design principles. Um, I hope they were logical for you and maybe even help you to create your own design principles. Before we dive into the um, examples, um, I will go a little bit deeper uh, into the different levels of an AI. As mentioned before, I have defined five levels that I can have. Level one is the easiest way of implementing an AI, and then each level adds a little bit of complexity, but also some kind of intelligence. So level one is autonomous deterministic behavior. Autonomous behavior probably is the Easiest way to manage an AI. The game rules feature some autonomous mechanism that allows things to change in the game without any player input. Like moving an enemy from point A to B or along a fixed path. Autonomous behavior is often used for marching orders of opponents, for example. It feels a bit like the enemies would be on rails. Their whole purpose is to get from point A to point B. Often they want to march from where they spawn to a certain point like a base or a castle. This mechanic is an integral part of most tower defense games. But also other games make use of this mechanic. In Legends of Under, enemies have a specific goal. They want to attack the castle. Their movement path is printed on the board and completely deterministic. Their spawn point is sometimes fixed as described in the quest and sometimes it is determined randomly with a dice roll that tells you the field you have to place the enemy on. At the end of each round, the enemies are activated in a fixed order that is based on the monster type and the number of the field they are placed on. So enemies on fields with lower numbers act before enemies of the same type on higher numbers. Each enemy moves one step closer to the castle, following the arrows that are printed on the board. They are jumping over other monsters if the field is already occupied, and they completely ignore the heroes in this process. There is no complicated algorithm, and still it is hard enough to make sure that you have all the enemies move in the right order. The complexity comes from the fact that the enemies are moving at different speeds. So sometimes you have to um, activate one type of enemy uh, before the other one, even if the other one is uh, closer to the, to the castle. And that will cause the enemies to leapfrog each other if one enemy is in front of another one. Then the mechanic is completely deterministic. A big part of the game is to make strategic strikes To break up these chains in order to slow down overall monster movement. Since the monsters completely ignore the players and also the side quests in this game. They don't feel very intelligent. But their movement rules create still very interesting puzzles for the players. Though for the right game this can be a very good way to um, implement monster movement. Because it is um, very easy for the players. So this was level 1, Autonomous Deterministic Behavior. Level 2 is um, Variable Behavior. A variable behavior is a behavior that is not completely deterministic. That means the players cannot completely foresee and predict what the enemies are going to do. Often cards or dice are used to randomly determine which enemy is activated, where the enemy is moving or which action the enemy performs. In Gloomhaven, for example, if an enemy moves and how far it moves depends on a random card that is drawn from a deck of cards that determines the enemy actions. If the card says move plus one, the enemy moves its base movement, which is written on the enemy card, um, plus one tile forward. If the card doesn't say move on it, the enemy does not move at all, even if it has a base movement. I know there are a lot of additional rules regarding the movements such as ranged attacks where the enemy will not uh, move towards the target if it is already in range. But what I wanted to focus on here is the fact that the movement of the enemy is not predictable for the players because it depends on a randomly drawn card. But because each type of enemy has its own deck of cards, players can build up some kind of knowledge about the behavior of the enemy, about the cards. Stone golems are moving less than wind elementals, for example, because they have less cards with high movement modifiers. If the players keep an eye on that cards and remember them, they can draw some conclusions about the behavior of the specific type of enemy. This knowledge then can influence their decision-making during the next turns or the next uh, scenarios. At the very beginning, when we started playing Gloomhaven in our group, the following situation occurred. We fought against zombies that move almost exclusively one tile per turn or even do not move at all. So we often ignored the zombies or moved away from them only one step per turn while we focused on the other opponents. We, We kited them. However, the zombies also have a card in their deck that allows them to move three tiles in a turn. And when they drew this card, our entire plan was ruined. And this card has not only a move 3, but also an immobilize effect. Which means that you as a character can't move with your next action. This means that the zombies are, were adjacent to, to my character. And in the next round, they are able to attack you. We simply underestimated the zombies and felt too safe. My character was completely pushed into a corner and faced several zombies in close combat. A situation you don't want to be in, and a typical scene in many zombie movies. This one card gave the opponents real depth. Because it just felt so thematically. We ran away from the zombies, and at one point in time, we just underestimated them. And yeah, not only we were screwed. For me, the situation really felt like uh, an episode of The Walking Dead. And the most interesting part about the situation was that it wasn't planned by the designer of this quest. It occurred randomly because the rules allowed it. And so it was some kind of emergent story and emergent situation that came up in the game. However, it was only possible to occur in that way because the opponents don't act completely deterministic, but variable. And this variability is not completely random as well, because each type of enemy has its own deck. The different classes have this chance to feel very thematically and different, and the zombie example made that very clear to me. Even if the unpredictability comes from a card draw, it really feels like the enemies are behaving unpredictable. So one advantage of the variable behavior approach towards the deterministic approach is that the enemies can surprise you and that you can use your imperfect knowledge about their deck to make your decisions. It also means that there is a learning curve in the game because I will definitely not underestimate that zombies in the future again. So level two is variable behavior of enemies. Level three is active response. Active response for me is when an enemy on the board actively responds to a player actions. Kel's priest. If a player performs a certain action the enemy's next turn is directly affected by that. There is some kind of input that causes a variable response from the AI based on the new input. In the simplest way the input could be something like a player entering line of sight and the, in that case the response could be that enemy is attacking this player that entered the line of sight a very good example for an active response can be found in the game zombie side yes it is another zombie example i know <laughs> maybe this is the ongoing theme for today's show in zombie side uh, players create noise with their action and the enemies then react on that noise based on a decision tree that is also based on line of sight and noise. That means players are actively influencing the movement of the enemies. If they want to or not. A system like that adds a whole new level of tactics to the game. Because with the player's actions they can influence the movement. And they can use it against the enemies. I think this is very can very good see the trade-off between uh, simplicity and intelligence. Because adding... Noise as a mechanic definitely lets uh, the zombies feel more intelligent. It sounds strange to call zombies intelligent. However, um, they feel more like they are um, responding to you. But it comes with a cost. It adds complexity to the game. Okay, that was level 3. Active responses. Level 4 also has to do with responses, but the responses are situative This is another very sophisticated and complex form of an AI. An AI that not only makes its decision based on a stimulus, but considers the complete situation for decision making. I personally only know one game that goes really deep into situative responses. I'm sure there are more games out there like this, but the one that I came across is Conflict of Heroes. A board game that simulates a firefight between two armies. In a solo variant of the game, one army is controlled by an AI. The game does not care about the order in which units act. And it does not even care much about which unit does what. It tackles the AI question from a completely different angle. The game does not ask, what can a unit do this round? It asks, what is the situation we are currently in? And based on that information, um, it gives orders... And tries to find a unit that can perform this order. So the question is can a unit perform this action? If yes do it. If not what is the next best action in this situation? The game implements this procedure with command cards. These cards are randomly drawn from a stack and represent a kind of very complex checklist. It is important to understand that this command card is not for a particular unit but can affect different units based on the situation. The AI card determines which enemy is activated and what it does. Depending on the situation, the same card could cause a tank to advance or an infantry unit to retreat. This behavior is achieved with a number of if-then clauses on the card to specify the current situation. You have to choose the first if clause that applies. Let me give you an example. First, you check for priority orders. Priority orders typically check if there is already a fight, a close combat fight going on. So the first thing you do is check if any unit is in a hex next to one of your units. If yes, that means you have a close combat situation and the unit attacks. Otherwise, read the next clause. The second priority order is check if an enemy is in close range. So two hex fields away. If yes, fire. Otherwise, go to the tactical orders. So if um, nothing of the first priority orders applies, you have to go to the tactical orders. And tactical orders could be something like this. Check if there is a unit on a zero defense hex. If yes, activate closest unit to a player on a zero defense hex. And make a low-risk move towards cover and target. If not, go to next clause. Check if you control a mortar unit. If yes, choose the one which is farthest from the unit with the lowest defense value of the enemy. And then fire. If not, activate the closest infant unit and fire. So, these were just a few examples of tactical orders. You could have a whole bunch of combinations of different orders on one card. I know it sounds very complex and I'm probably not very good in explaining it. That's why I have uh, linked a video in the show notes where one of the developers explains the system um, in much better words than I ever could. You can follow the link if you are interested in this kind of AI systems. But what I wanted to highlight with this example is a system that tries to understand the current situation by using an extensive if-then logic to make an intelligent decision based on it. The complexity of such a system is high, but it can be used to create very complex decision trees and to create opponents that feel almost like real players. I say almost because level 5... of my AI levels is um, AI player or automatas. Level 5 is an AI that is designed to simulate a human player. This is sometimes also called an AI player or automata. The idea is to generate an opponent that acts like a real human being who actually tries to win the game. It follows its own plan instead of only acting as a challenge for the players. So this is the real difference here, it really tries to win the game. This form of AI is often needed for a digital implementation of a board game, in order to make it solo playable. Uh, For its implementation often some kind of variable checklist um, is used, as I've just described on on level 4. And finally, the While I was recording and preparing for this episode, I realized AI as a topic is a huge one. It took me a lot of time to structure it and to gather all the necessary information and all the examples. And I came up with more examples than expected. That's why I've decided to split this episode into two parts, because I have much more to talk about and I don't want to cut some of the examples. Today we talked about design principles for designing an AI system and the trade-off between intelligence and complexity. When you are going to design an AI for your game, you should be aware of the level of AI you want to implement for your game and define your design principles accordingly. Finding the balance between a simple implementation and compelling enemies is a challenge and we all have to solve this challenge in different ways, according to our game's theme and mechanics. For me personally, I believe the key element of a good game um, and a good board game AI is to make sure that it creates a feeling of enemies having intentions. Because winning against an intelligent opponent that sometimes acts surprisingly um, feels way better to me than beating a simple sequence of actions. But that's only my opinion. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this topic and are looking forward to some spicy examples next week. If you know a great example you think I should add to the list for next week, please let me know and I will take a look at it. This would not only help me, but also all of the other great designers in the NerdLab community. And if you want to be part of that community, don't forget to sign up on nerdlikeaboss.com and receive the sneak peek from Jamie Stagmeyer. Thank you for listening and until next week, keep shooting for the moon and nerd like a boss.